Okay, this is exciting. Doctrine and Covenants 77 to 80. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting into Joseph Smith's interpretation of the book of Revelation. I'm excited about questions and answers and seeing how the Lord actually responds on things like that. Yeah, great. It's going to be great. Uh, so welcome. Before we get into our discussion, should we follow up on what we read? Yeah, let's do it. So today we're talking about Doctrine and Covenants sections 77 through 80. In these sections, Joseph Smith is going to continue to ask questions of the Lord to clarify points of the Bible. The Lord is also going to help him to understand what these different points are. He's going to instruct his people to prepare a storehouse and encourage them to be obedient and to be of good cheer. The Lord's going to continue to call missionaries to go out, and he is going to promise them the comforter and give them different assignments. So we're going to talk about two things specifically today. Uh, the first is how we can ask thoughtful questions of Scripture, and the second is what it means to inherit heavenly things. All right, in order to help us dig a little bit deeper into these scriptures and understand these topics better, we have asked our wonderful friend, Nick Frederick, to come and go through the scriptures with us today. Welcome, Nick. Yeah, thank you. Come join us. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Good. Are you really, Nick? I am okay, really good. happy to be here. <laughs> That's great. You actually like talking about the scriptures? I do. I know, it's so <laughs> fun. It really is fun. So Nick Frederick is an associate professor of ancient scripture at Brigham Young University. Uh, your PhD is in the study of Christianity with an emphasis in Book of Mormon studies. I also happen to know that you publish a lot in the Doctrine and Covenants as well. Yeah, my main area of research is the Bible, but I love how the Bible is really discussed and understood better when we read the Doctrine and Covenants. Excellent, great. Uh, so before we get into our discussion, maybe just give us a sense of what you found meaningful or significant or what should we keep an eye out for going into these sections? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, when I think about these four revelations, 77 through 80, the word that really stands out to me is the word revelation, mm -hmm. both because section 77 um, talks about the book of Revelation. But then when you look at sections 78, 79, and 80, you really get a sense for how revelation itself mm -hmm. is developed um, how Joseph Smith is coming to, a, I think, a greater understanding of Revelation, perhaps mm -hmm. based upon what he's learned from the book of Revelation. Mm -hmm. But I, these four revelations really, I think, help us understand how personally we can receive Revelation, how we can come to a greater understanding of how God wants us to react when he talks to us. And so I think these are four very valuable uh, revelations here. Excellent, thanks. Joseph Smith is going to be asking some thoughtful questions. But when you look at section 77, he's asking questions regarding the sea of glass, four bees. Uh, he's talking about eyes and wings and seven seals. I mean, can you just help us understand what's going on here? But before that, can you give us some context? This is March of 1832. Joseph's working on his, his translation of the Bible, and he's reached the book of Revelation. And he's also had this remarkable vision in section 76, where he's, I think he's seen something similar to what John saw in the book of Revelation that might have sparked his own interest. And he maybe feels like he wants to get a greater understanding of what John's experience was like. And so it's almost as if he's perhaps sitting down with specific questions in mind, but he's going through these verses in the book of Revelation saying, I want to, I want to understand these ideas because they are, they're weird. They're crazy, right? Seas of glass and eyes and wings. And you read through this, and you take it literally and you wonder what is happening here. And so I think Joseph says, let's find out. Let's ask God. Let's ask the person who, you know, originated this vision, right? Let's mm -hmm. see if we can figure out from the source himself. But I think what he gives us here uh, in, you know, working through these first 11 chapters is really valuable information. And I wonder if we can pause and reflect a little bit on just kind of what Joseph Smith is modeling for us. Um, specifically with regard to how do we engage with scripture in a way that's productive. So this is for our audience and also for you, Nick, if you have any questions. What kind of questions do you bring to scripture to get more out of your study? Um, one habit that I started on my mission 
with asking questions is sometimes I feel like I myself can't think of questions that I have, but I know that there are people around me who have questions, and especially people that I was teaching. If they had questions, I would start to write those down so that when I was studying my scriptures, I could, if I didn't personally have questions, I could at least have those other questions in mind to look for things. And then I found that it also helped me with things that maybe I didn't even know that I was wondering about. That's a, that's a great comment. I do believe that's a principle of the gospel that when we're trying to serve other people, search and help them, the Lord is often, I don't know want to say faster, but often helping us in, a, in a, almost in a different way to guide other people through their, through their life struggles and things. I think we have a, a video, a question mm-hmm. coming from our at-home audience that kind of yeah. goes along this topic as well. Let's look at that. Hello, my name is Aiden Bird, and I have a question about receiving answers. I've heard stories of people opening the scriptures and finding an answer at the first verse they see. And I can't say I've had similar experiences to those answers coming that easily. Uh, So I just wanted to know what you think about people opening the scriptures and suddenly finding their answer. Yeah, that's a great question, Aiden. And I mean... I sympathize with the question because like I've heard stories like that too, where somebody has a question, they open up to a page and the verse speaks specifically to like whatever circumstance they're in. That hasn't been my experience at all. In fact, I'm not sure I have a lot of questions that could be answered by any single verse in scripture, you know, like, you know, who should I marry or should I take this job or not? Or how should I best raise my kids or something like that? But I think one thing scripture does is that engaging with it disposes us to be open to the Holy Spirit. So even though the, the, the response might not come specifically from the words that we read, I think it helps us be in a place spiritually to where the Lord can speak to us if we're being thoughtful about those kinds of things. Any thoughts on that, Nick? Yeah, I mean, to me, this, kind of, this speaks to the power of, of Scripture, right, of the, of the multivocality, the way that God can just speak to us in a number of different ways. But in experiences where I've had something similar happen where I've, I've had a question and I've wanted an answer, then I, I open up and I just find it on the page, it's often because... I've been thinking about it a lot. It's been on my mind. Mm-hmm. I've been working through possible answers myself. And then what I find is more the confirmation than the answer itself. Yeah, excellent. It just gets back to this idea of effort, right? Which asking questions is a part of. Yeah, and, and there's a great quote we have from President Ballard. There are many great quotes from the leaders of the church on this topic. He says, the Lord can only teach an inquiring mind. What an important lesson. The Lord doesn't generally come to us. He waits for us to come to him and ask. Then he gives us the answer. How many times have you said, I have not received direction lately, or I feel a void in my life? Do we inquire of the Lord? Do we ask, seek, and knock as the Savior directed? As you have problems and questions in your lives, do you follow this principle? I testify to you that as your minds are opened and as you truly inquire of the Lord, He will answer you. As we humble ourselves, He will lead us by the hand and give us answers to our prayers. In addition to this statement by President Ballard, there have been a number of talks, just even Elder Scott talking about, you know, sometimes the Lord doesn't give you a yes or no answer. Sometimes the Lord doesn't answer you at all. He's just trusting that you're going to be able to figure it out. Yeah. Um, so maybe we can get back specifically into Joseph Smith's question and specifically his, uh, his interpretation of the book of Revelation. So I'm wondering if you could take us through a little bit, maybe briefly, how has the book of Revelation been interpreted over time? Is Joseph Smith doing anything unique in his interpretation? What's significant that? So historically, when there's been kind of four different ways in which people interpret the book of Revelation. Uh, the most common one at Joseph Smith's time was to view it as kind of a panoramic view of history, right? I can read the book of Revelation and I see history unfold in kind of coded language. Uh, Joseph's actually a little bit ahead of his time in that in the early 
19th century, most people are reading it as a historical kind of text. They're looking and trying to say, okay, the Roman Empire was the first seal, and you know, this was the second seal, and this was the third seal, building up toward the present. Joseph's saying, I'm not sure about that, right? Joseph's saying, it seems like a lot of this, you know, when I'm reading about the seals, when I'm reading about the trumpets, that's, that sounds like the future, right? That sounds like what's going to happen more than what's already happened. And I think the, the views of scholars over the last 200 years have largely verified, I think, Joseph's view that, yeah, this isn't so much about the past as it is about the things that are to come. Mm -hmm. It's interesting with this because you see Joseph Smith and he's asking the Lord in section 77 very specific questions, getting very specific answers. Yeah. But it's not all here in 77. I mean, in, in just a, a few months later, he's gonna get to section 88 of the Doctrine and Covenants and he's gonna learn a lot more about the trumps and about the angels and about the seals. And that's not the end of learning for Joseph. Yeah, I think it shows us that revelation's a progressive process, right? It's not something that we get the answer and we say, okay, that's great, and then move on. Right, the Lord expects that we'll continue to come back to him and he'll continue to give us answers and they build on each other, mm -hmm. right? I mean, even if, if I can just take a minute and look at section 78. Please. You know, this very last verse, verse 22. He that is faithful and a wise steward shall inherit all things. That's almost a direct quotation from Revelation 21, right? And that's what the Revelation, book of Revelation is building up to is this idea that those who pick the right side inherit all things. Well, now that, now that Joseph understands that because he's studied and asked the questions, the Lord can work that into a revelation and jo he now has a different type of language through which to talk to Joseph. He's increasing his repertoire as it yeah, were. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Excellent, thanks. So I have just a question for you in the audience. When has the Lord answered your specific questions, whether it was just immediate or, or incrementally? Kai, please. Uh, there is one time my grandma, my great grandma was moving out of her house and she lost her very precious watch that her uh, husband gave to her. And it was lost in snow because it was winter and she couldn't find it and she was really sad about it because she really couldn't find it. So me and my mom went and we tried to look around for it so we couldn't find it all and then we said a prayer. So I'm like, mom, I think it's over here. And I put my fist down into the snow and grabbed it right out. Okay, that is an awesome experience, Kai. Thank you so much. And it wasn't that you had found the answers necessarily in the scriptures, you found it through prayer. I mean, there, are, there are so many mediums that the Lord is using to be able to speak to us. As, as President Nelson says, the Lord is trying to reveal these truths to us. Anybody else, we have maybe one more person that can share a, an experience? Yes, please, David. Well, this is a very basic one. Uh, we were with our grandson in, in uh, Northern California and we were leaving to go over the mountains uh, just, just when, when uh, the sun was going down. And we knew there was a lot of deer. And before we, we talked to him and we said, we, we need to have a prayer that there would be no deer in the road. And we did, and we prayed for that specifically. We got over the other side, was filling up with gas, and we didn't see one deer. Uh, the guy that was next to me, he says, wow, did you see all the deer that were on the road coming over? And it was, uh, we shared that with our grandson. He said, okay, this is a answer to our prayers. A very simple one, but it was an answer to our prayers and a good learning experience for all of us. That's beautiful, thank you. I would just invite you as you continue on in the scriptures to start, if you haven't already, to, if you have, to continue to find questions that are coming from the scriptures. One of the things I love, Elder Bednar, he says he often goes to the temple not to find answers to the questions that he has, but to find better questions to be asking. So I invite you to go to your scriptures and find really good questions. Excellent, yeah. 
So you mentioned that Joseph Smith was a little bit ahead of his time in some respects. Is there anything significant or meaningful um, about his interpretation of Revelation or maybe something we can learn from it? So when, when you read Doctrine and Covenant 77 and you look at these, the answers that, that Joseph receives here, you can almost divide each one of them into two parts. Like the first part is a general kind of what I think most people would agree with. But then the second half of the answer always kind of takes this unique turn. So for example, if you look at section 77, verse two and three, Joseph is fascinated by these beasts, right? In Revelation four, John sees the throne of God and it's surrounded by four beasts. And so he, he, he gives us a, a general answer that they're figurative expressions. But then Joseph goes on to talk about in verse three, how these are limited to four individual beasts which were shown to John to represent the glory of the classes of, of beings in their destined order and sphere of creation and the enjoyment of their eternal felicity. And he's later gonna go on to say that these four individual beasts were four actual beasts who lived on, you know, there were 10,000 times 10,000 worlds out there. And these beasts were part of that grand cosmic order, right? And so Joseph kind of, he's really amazing at taking these small bits of information that he's given and really drawing these really unique um, and answers mm -hmm. um, out of it. Um, another one that I, that I really like, in verse eight, right, we get this mention of these four angels that pop up at the beginning of chapter seven in the book of Revelation. And this continues on in verse nine as well. Like there's, this is when all the scary stuff starts to happen in the book of Revelation, all this, you know, the scorpions going around stinging people and all the people who die and the people get really upset about, right? When is this gonna happen? And when you read what, the answer that Joseph's given here, rather than being terrified, verses eight and nine really do a nice job of instilling hope. If we're on the Lord's side, we're gonna be fine, right? I mean, I, when I teach the book of Revelation, I tell my students, you know, Joseph said the book of Revelation was the plainest book God ever caused to be written. And I say, how many of you would agree with that, right? I mean, that's, that seems like a crazy thing to say. Have you read the book of Revelation? Who would call this <laughs> the plainest book? Doesn't make any sense. But I say, you can summarize it in two words. Right, and that's Jesus wins. Because the entire point of the book is to show you Jesus overcomes evil. And that, that thread of optimism runs through all of these answers here. Joseph is finding out that the book of Revelation really does have a happy ending. He's not getting caught up in these terrible images, these beasts and these dragons that are coming out of the water. Joseph is not concerned about that. What he wants to see is where can I find the hope for the future mm -hmm. in this book? Yeah. Right? It is the revelation of Jesus Christ after all. Beautiful. So this has been a great discussion about asking thoughtful questions. Now maybe we can talk a little bit more about uh, inheriting heavenly things, uh, specifically in, in sections uh, 78 and then and towards into 80. Before we begin, maybe we can start off in section 78. Nick, can you give us a little bit of historical context of what's going on here? Yeah, so this is again, right after section 77. This is about March of 1832. Um, about a year ago, back in February 1831, Joseph had received section 42, laying out the law of consecration. By the time you get to section 78, it's time to, to really make that materialize. And so section 78 is about organizing what's called the United Firm or the United Order. And it's, it's calling certain leadership in the church by covenant to come together and organize their assets and use that money to then provide for the church. Mm -hmm. And so and a really important thing to keep in mind is often we kind of use the law of consecration, the United Order synonymously, 
They're actually two very different things. The United Order is an organization that uses the law of consecration, but it itself is not the law of consecration. So do your gospel doctrine teacher, your institute teacher a favor, and use those correctly. (laughs) (laughs) So if I understand correctly, part of what's going on in this section is that the Lord is trying to uh, make it so that the welfare of the members of the church is where it needs to be, or they're taken care of, right? So maybe we can dwell on a few of these scriptures specifically. Maybe we can start with three, because this is something I've, I've seen throughout the, the Doctrine and Covenants. You also see it in the Book of Mormon and in the New Testament. So verily I say unto you, the time has come and is now at hand, and behold, and lo, it must needs be that there be an organization of my people in regulating and establishing the affairs of the storehouse for the poor of my people, both in this place and in the land of Zion. And again, you see this throughout the standard works. The Lord really cares for the poor and marginalized. Um, why do you think that's the case? Why does he feel such a connection or care for the poor and marginalized? I think it's important because um, where the Lord's not here on the earth, I think that it's important that we are his hands and he can't physically be here. And so through us, he can help reach out to those that might be looking for help or praying um, that they can receive help. Um, And sometimes you can't do that from afar. You need somebody physically there. Excellent, thanks for that. I remember Daniel as my father was very ill and passing away, my sister kneeling by my dad's bedside and saying, dad, you have 13 children and we love each other and we're gonna take care of each other. It's okay if you need to go, we're gonna be okay. Everyone's gonna be just fine. And I think, isn't that what the Lord is asking us to do? He's saying, look, I'm your father and I have a lot of children and I need you to look after each other and to care for each other and to love each other because we can't become like Christ unless we let down some of that, the pride that we sometimes have. But I think, I think for all of us, that's what the Lord, he, it's not that he wants everybody to have an equal amount of money. He wants people to love. He wants people to care. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So we have a quote that actually speaks to that. Let me just read it for you. It's impossible to have a new relationship with God without also having a new relationship to people. The very first green tendril of love, which sprouts in the human heart, fumbles its way immediately towards the human other. And like this idea that uh, caring for other people, yes, it's 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 it, it's helpful in the sense that it you know it makes sure people have food and clothing. Like, but but the end goal is love. The end goal is creating a kind of bond and, and kinship, uh, creating a, a Zion-like people. It's not just about ethics, right? It's about a, a community. I mean, if, if you think of someone like the Savior, right? I mean, he was the firstborn. Mm-hmm. He was the heir. He was the king, and he descended below all things, right? And he asks us to do something just on a small scale, yeah. right? Sacrifice a little bit of yourself mm. and follow in my footsteps, right? I wanna see, can you do that on a, before I hand over the universe to you, yeah. I wanna see if you can do that on a small scale. So I think it's in Matthew 25 where he actually, he associates himself, he sees himself in the most marginalized, in the poor, in the naked, in the thirsty, in the imprisoned. If you've done it the least of these, my brethren, you've exactly. done it to me. Yeah. So it's not just that he loves everybody, but he really sees himself in the poor. And the one thing that we sometimes forget when we see uh, modern day depictions of the Savior in, in all glory is that he was poor, right? He was, he associated with these people. You know, he walked in the dirt and sandals. He got sweaty and bloody with them. Like he was among the marginalized of society and he invites us to see himself in them as well. And, and are we not all beggars? I mean, we, we have yeah, that question yeah, as well. Yeah. I, I think, Nick, when you were talking about the United Order or the United Firm, I was thinking about the law of consecration. And many people um, have questions about the United Firm or the United Order and why it ended. And we have a question about that and, and then continue on maybe this conversation as well, if that's yeah. okay. okay. Hi, 
my name is Mimi Bascom, and my question is about Doctrine and Covenants section 78, where the Lord is giving Joseph Smith revelation to start the United Firm. Now, as you know, the United Firm's mission was to advance the efforts of the church and help members who were in need, but it ended up being disbanded only two years later because they fell into debt. So my question is, why would the Lord inspire early church leaders to start the United Firm if he knew that it ultimately wouldn't be successful? Oh, that's great. The United Firm was there for a short period of time, or the United Order. But it, sometimes we confuse, again, as Nick brought up, the, the United Order with the Law of Consecration. Uh, the, the, the United Order was perhaps successful in helping people be prepared and it was successful perhaps in bringing people together. There may be some topics we can talk about how it wasn't successful as well. But as far as the, the law of consecration, I, I love a statement by President Hinckley. He was, asked why, he was asked if we live the law of consecration today, and his answer was, I don't know, are you? The, the law of consecration isn't something that's over. It's something that we as members of the church covenant to continue to use and covenant to continue to care for each other in this bond. And so if the United Order, if the, if the, if the law of consecration is over in your life, perhaps you might consider uh, how you can get it back. One of the kind of the grand meta messages of the Book of Mormon, if you look at the fall of the Nephites, it's because of social and economic inequality. Yeah. That's an entire people fell because they were, there was inequality on an economic and a social level. And I think the Lord is here trying to help us understand, don't repeat those same mistakes. I mean, I think it also raises, a, a, getting back to the sister's question specifically, does the Lord tell us to do things that he knows we're going to fail at? And if so, what might be the wisdom in that? I, I love this question, just why, why does the Lord let us fail sometimes? I think a failure is a really good teacher. I think Yoda said that once. <laughs> and I, I think it's important to remember that sometimes the Lord knows we're going to fail because he knows it's going to teach us to do better next time or to make different choices in the future. And I think with the law of consecration, when we are trying to use our time and our talents and our efforts um, to build up the kingdom of God, we're going to make mistakes, but that's okay because the Lord knows where our heart is and he knows that we are trying to sacrifice for him. Thank you so much. Oh, and it's not so much the Lord knows we're going to fail, it's so that we come to the realization that we did fail. Yeah. Yeah. And so we'll turn to him and say, help me take the next step, yeah. which we never would if we just succeeded in everything that we did. Yeah. Beautiful. So Nick, we've, we've really focused on sections 77 and 78. We haven't spent much time on 79 and 80. Are there any points or important truths that you would like to bring out here on those sections? Yeah, so I mentioned earlier at the beginning of our discussion that these four revelations kind of have this thread of revelation running through it. And in 79 and 80, if you look at section 79, uh, verse 1, section 79, verse 1, it's a mission call to a man named Jared Carter, and he's told specifically, go again into the eastern countries, right? God directs him specifically, go to the east. The very next section, right, is, is a same thing, mission call to a man named Stephen Burnett, and look at verse 3, wherefore go ye and preach my gospel, whether to the north or to the south, to the east or to the west, it matters not, for you cannot go amiss, right? And so we, hear, we see God doing a mission call, it's just a simple mission call, but revealing it in two very different ways. In the first case, it's direct instruction. This is what I want you to do. In the second one, it's you figure it out. You decide which way you want to go and you'll be fine. Mm -hmm. And I think this, this helps us understand often how God talks to us personally. Sometimes we want God to tell us what to do 
And what he's really saying is, you decide. You mm -hmm. can't go wrong with whatever you decide, but I want you to make the decision. Mm -hmm. And other times he is saying, this is what I want you to do. And perhaps what we're thinking is, oh, God's leaving it up to me. Mm -hmm. And we just get our wires crossed. Yeah, reminds me of that uh, passage in, in the Book of Mormon where God tells Nephi that he can ask whatever he wants essentially. And I'm paraphrasing uh, because he wouldn't ask anything that's contrary to his will. Mm -hmm. So you get to the point I feel like which, in which you and the Lord are so in sync that he trusts you, like do what you want because I know what you want is good. All right, so this has been a, a great discussion on inheriting uh, heavenly things, and thanks for your insights and expertise on this, Nick, as well. My pleasure. It's good to see you understanding church history so well, as well as all the Bible and Book of Mormon. Hey, well, one of these days when you guys actually turn to the Bible, invite me back. So. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It'll be a while. Okay, <laughs> all right. Thanks, Nick. And we'd like to thank you and the audience as well. Thank you for your questions, for your comments life experiences, we really appreciate you sharing with us. And to those of you at home, thanks for sending us your comments and questions and insights via social media. Uh, we'd love to have you in the studio with us sometime, but if you can't join us, we hope you'll tune in next week for a Come Follow Up. Thanks. Thanks so much. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.